Have you ever turned on a podcast in a public place and started listening, only for the three dumb hosts to suddenly start talking about Wolverine's cock? Well, it might happen if you listen here. So, here's your friendly content warning that, um, we're gonna probably talk about Wolverine's cock, and we'll definitely swear a bunch. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. We're Aeronauts and we're back with more word balloons. We've been flying high on our own hot air, but have stopped our journey to the house of mystery to answer your nerdy questions. So with that in mind, Zach, what's our question this week? How do comic books connect a notorious serial killer, Albert Fish? I, you know, I like doing research most of the time for these questions. I wanted to be surprised as soon as I heard that this was the question. So as a quick note before we dive in. Ooh, Albert Fish, infamous. Albert Fish, uh, masochist, sadist, here. child killer, and most importantly, cannibal. Oh, damn. I was going to Bo- ask. Fish, born in 1870, enjoyed spankings with nail-studded paddles and stuffing needles deep into his groin. So that's what I was about to give a content warning about a little <laughs> bit. We, I mean, we have a content warning because we talk about superhero genitalia or how Cardassians have a cloaca or various uh, horny oh, things. I forgot all about that. I now I'm never going to again. Uh, <laughs> this... We don't really discuss true crime on this podcast. I wanted to give a little bit of warning because the first time we are comparing comic or connecting comic books to true crime, and there's actually a few ways you can do it, we went straight to the fucking werewolf of Wisteria. The fucking, like, I've listened to a lot of true crime. Few things have made me as viscerally uncomfortable as Albert Fish has. I don't know any of this. I'm... <laughs> what I, I was going to do this whole bit about how the, I, I'm the stowaway and uh, editor and stowaway Steven here. I just got done cleaning out the uh, the cremation ovens. And I'm going to go back to that. That sounds better than this. We actually won't spend too much time on fish, but to, to kind of connect how... I came up with this question. I'll be honest with that. And I did it so I could talk about something else, but it came up and I went, holy shit. So serial killer Albert Fish who was a pedophile and cannibal and fascinating combination of both sadist and masochist and weirdly open about it. There's a story about him being at dinner with his daughter and she's like, dad, you seem uncomfortable. And he's like, you remember those, those needles I put in my penis? Well, they're still there. And there's a lot of stories like this. Uh, He is infamous for the fact that the way that they caught him was like five to 10 years before he had killed a young girl named uh, what Grace Kelly, I think. Grace Bud. Grace Bud. Thank you. Grace Kelly. Fuck. Um, (laughs) Grace Bud. And they caught him because he sent a letter to the parents assuring them that he did not rape her. He just ate her. At least there's that? Nope. Because he later admitted that, um... Oh, he lied. He did both. He... I'm so sorry, everyone listening to this episode. He didn't do anything, but he still came a bunch. Gross. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just... No, it's just... (laughs) Uh, how does this guy relate to comic books? Or, or before we get into that, does Tyler have anything he wants to throw into this? It, it's just interesting because it's one of the these guys from a time period where 
they're they're not quite sure how many victims for sure he had at least three maybe as many 10 he admitted to over a hundred but with the way he said it it wasn't sure if he was referring to like actual killings or rapes this took place in the 30s just so you know he was caught in the 30s and um, that you and at that time period you don't put them on trial for every one of the killings because he hangs once you put him on trial for what you can fucking prove Grace Bud in this case. Mm-hmm. The lowest number I've heard is 15. The highest number I've heard is around 100. At one point, he said, I had a child in every state, and it's unclear oh, what we he... hate it so much! It's unclear what he meant by that. Like, if he had a child in every state, or if he had. Given he was a pedophile... And also the person who would kill children. And a cannibal. And a cannibal. So we, it could There's have been. like three or four different things that statement could have made. So yes. Given the amount, maybe he means, he, maybe he means all three. At least there were only 48 states at the time. No, no, not, not, not really better. Not really better, but also contextually, <laughs> hopefully he means all three. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that, no, you know what? Okay. Anyways. I'm really hoping he just has kids in that context. I like, mean, he did have, like have children so but also that sucks actually yeah. i don't want anything to, uh, that, that he was sucks. convicted and executed by electric chair on january 16th 1936 at the age of 65 so he was around for a long time and he's i am wildly against the death penalty and he's one of the few times i've ever been like hell yeah that guy good he's gone <laughs> so the reason he connects to comic like books. they didn't have mental health institutions to do anything with him at that point there's some people that like mental health institutions are really also the state of mental health institutions in this america in this country post reagan 80s has i mean this was the 1930s so and like that didn't even really there are exist, some people so. you kind of as much as i disagree with prison you just kind of need to lock up to keep separate but anyways yeah and the reason he connects to comic books is the man who declared him insane at trial is Professor, hold on, Professor Frederick Wortham. You know who that Whoa, is based okay. off that. Yeah. You have no idea who this is. Blank face. Question, have you ever heard me rant about seduction of the innocent? More than likely, but uh, do I remember it? No. Okay. So, I'm going to say the good things about Professor Frederick Wortham because they matter And then I'm going to talk about why he's one of the most infamous boogeymen in the history of comic books. Okay. He's hated. Now he's kind of loved to be hated, but Professor Frederick Wortham was a German-American psychiatrist and author with a reputation as a progressive psychiatrist who was one of the only people who would treat poor black patients at his clinic during, well, the 30s. Like, always. Um, Good he move. authored a definitive textbook on the brain, and he was um, involved in Brown versus Board of Education on the good side. Oh. Brown versus Board of Education being the state, not the state, the Supreme Court case that overturned segregation in schools. And I hate to give him credit for that because he's the fucking worst. He is responsible, and what he's most famous for, which he fucking hates, is The Seduction of the Innocent a book talking about the absolute dangers and horrors of comic books that make Tipper Gore's 90s response to violence and rap music look fucking tame. In the height of the, like, Red Scare McCarthyism stuff, there were fucking congressional hearings about violence in comic books. 
politics and how it was leading to the degradation of society. Public congressional trials about how comic books need to be shut down. I'm actually going to use a quote from someone else to give the, the tenor of what they were targeting here, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff he claimed, and then some of the fallout. This is a quote from John Mason Brown, who was a uh, mostly a play critic, but De- a, a critic of various comics other, stuff. other yeah. things. Oh no, he just thought comics were the devil. Quote. I mean, he's not wrong, but the devil's fucking cool. <laughs> Yeah, this yeah. does make this actually sound Devil. super baller. Devil. We're cool. about to get there. Cool. But, quote, The comic book is the marijuana of the nursery, the bane of the bassinet, the horror of the home, the curse of the kids, and a threat to the future. So he really fucked up with the alliteration <laughs> on the marijuana of the nursery. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I did an art piece in college where I did a comic book collage that I painted a supervillain on and then wrote that around the sides of the piece. It could have been the cannabis of the crib. It was 1938. I don't think... the Okay, yeah. That's still better. <laughs> uh, seduction of the Innocent was an argument claiming that comic books were incredibly violent and sexual and promoted homosexuality and were bringing children to violence and death and every so, argument. If only. Every argument we've heard about video games in our time, or if you're a little bit older than us, it would have been pretty early in our lives. As I said, uh, violent music and rap or before that D&D in the 80s, or before that rock and roll, or... Look, in his defense, we have gotten pretty gay on some of the Fuck, Mary Kill episodes. Yes, and he's not wrong. (laughs) Crime comics were soups violent, but, like, there's congressional hearings about this shit. Among other things that he claimed... I mean, he destroyed EC Comics, but the, the the overt number of sexual themes and stuff, the depictions of Batman and Robin as gay that he's like, you can tell they're homosexual. He's got a young boy living with them and they have a butler. Yo, dude, you. Alfred the butler got removed from Batman comics for like 15 years because of this book. To make them less gay... I mean, they did have a page where they were, like, sleeping in the same bed. There was some weird Batman is a child in the early stuff. I mean... So it was kind of like two kids having a sleepover. What's the what's the um, aunt? Why can't I think of this? Aunt Harriet. That's right. So they were like, we can't have Batman and Robin be gay. And, I mean, you shouldn't because fucking... He's a, a child? <laughs> yes, exactly. We're not Albert Fish. But... Their their solution was to kill Alfred the butler and bring in Dick's Aunt Harriet. Which, why isn't she looking after Dick in the first place? Because (laughs) the rich man pulled some strings to keep the young boy with him. Um, I would like to pay for the young boy, (laughs) please. Um, I'm a a wealthy businessman, Bruce (laughs) Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but to make it less gay, let's have our old Aunt Harriet live with us instead. That man bought a child. (laughs) Yeah, he did. There's actually a comic that recently kind of admitted that. (laughs) Superman's talking about taking on this character as a uh, sidekick, as a ward. Like, I want to adopt him. And Batman's like, you can't. You adopt Robin. He's like, I'm stupidly wealthy and can get away with literally anything. You are a newspaper reporter. Like, who I think an illegal immigrant, technically? (laughs) Yeah. There's going to be questions asked that I can literally just pay off. Like... Well, Bruce Wayne, maybe you could help a guy out. Or this reporter puts your name in the paper. 
You know, World's Finest would have been so much fucking better if it turns out that Superman is just fucking blackmailing Batman the whole time. And in fairness, World's Finest, Mark Wade and Dan Mora is maybe the best book Marvel or DC is putting out right now. But add that on top. Oh my God, I'm so on board. Also, I just love the idea of... Uh, he, Superman would never do it, but I love the idea of him jokingly just like... Hmm. The threatening to blackmail Bruce Wayne of like releasing his identity that just oh yeah that that fills me with joy <laughs> the other thing that came up was Wonder Woman promoted lesbianism and bondage and Professor Wortham's like yeah thank you for reading my uh, <laughs> my TED talk yes you have caught on to the basic themes I mean bisexuality I'm Professor Wortham mm-hmm. but like no Wortham other way uh, sorry, uh, uh, Molten Marston. Yep. Who was kind of a shithead in his own right, but he's so fascinating. Oh my god, I love Molten Marston. It was, a, it was an interesting movie they made of him, that live action adaptation. Not very accurate. From Not very accurate but... from what I've been told. Although that said, his daughter was like, my parents weren't in a relationship with this woman. And I'm like, they they were fucking, man. <laughs> like, they were they fucking. They were definitely in a relationship with that woman. They were fucking not in a relationship. No, they, they were probably in a relationship too because after he died, his wife and her stayed together for the rest of their lives. Oh, no, I, I agree. <laughs> but I just like the, the idea of the, the daughter being like, no, it was purely physical. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Woman's making people gay. And you're like, yeah. And then Superman's both un-American and fascistic. And yeah, I think that's just boring arguments. A lot of bringing about violence, yada, yada, yada. There was, it led to, as I said, a lot of congressional hearings where they decided that they weren't going to shut down comic books, but they trusted comic books to voluntarily self-censor themselves, which was a like... Rain it in, guys. Rain it in or we will come in. And so comic books came together and formed the CCA, the Comics Code Authority. The Comics Code Authority, which lasted until the fucking 90s. I think Archie was the last company to fully drop it, and they did it in the early 2000s, was an originally an amazingly strict version of, like, similar to the MPAA. Like, it was a rating system to get the Comics Code Authority approved picture which i had a poster of at one point which i still wish i still had you had to do a certain amount of requirements and they basically used it to destroy the biggest competitor to superhero comics because ec comics was doing a bunch of like in fairness incredibly violent horror and crime comic books mobsters and vampires and murder they basically all the other companies got together and were like all right the villain has to be caught at the end we can't depict this level of gore you can't use zombies or vampires or werewolves or like anything fun and cool or these and you can't do this and there can't be depictions of drugs and there can't be depictions of sex and ec was like what the fuck (laughs) you've just destroyed our entire line and they're like oh what a shame what if we show that it's bad (laughs) nope and that's that we'll get to that in a second and so i mean to the point that for years None of this was available. Before they loosened up in the late 60s, early 70s, Marvel introduced a character that was a Voodoo priest, I guess. A really bad depiction mm-hmm. of a Voodoo priest. But I think it was the Black Talon didn't summon zombies. He summoned Zuvembies. It was the same thing, but they changed it to Zuvembi. It's not a werewolf. It's a Y-wolf. Basically, yes. 
did do some research on that when it came up in uh, New Island. It is technically pulling from, uh, oh God, who was it? Uh, a Robert E. Howard story, where it was basically just Zuvembi's in that story where what happened when a female became a zombie and they got like weird extra powers because of, apparently zombies have sexual dimorphism. Cool. Quick note, Robert E. Howard was the creator of Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Double cool. Yeah, so it was fucking weird. The the Comics Code Authority was eventually destroyed, I mean, defeated, basically, although it lasted for years, by Stan Lee, because Stan Lee was asked to do an anti-drug issue of Spider-Man. Drugs are bad. And he's like, yeah, sure. So Harry Osborn gets addicted to pills and possibly weed as well, but I th I know pills was the big one. Because you can you could definitely get addicted to weed. You know what? Whatever, man. <laughs> the point is, Harry had a, a drug-related mental breakdown as he was uh, um, using drugs to cope with the fact that his father was an abusive asshole. And people were like, we can't do this. Like, we can't get the CCA approval without, while mentioning the drugs. And Stan's like, so just put it on without the little symbol. We'll just do it without authority. Can't. We're gonna. And it fucking sold like gangbusters. And the CCA lost all power immediately. I think there was like a couple of stores who were like, no, we're not gonna share this. But CCA completely lost power ever since. Wortham went on to be like, hey, I'm not saying comics are bad. I just wrote a book about how they're bad and then like talked about it in front of in front of Congress. Uh, he actually later did a paper about how fandom and like basically fan fiction are good things <laughs> um, and later on tried to write another book about how i think it was tv yeah how tv was bad for kids too called the war on children but no one wanted to publish it because he'd become such a joke by that point he later showed up to a con in the uh the 70s hoping to have a like real conversation about comic book stuff and everyone at the con were like you're Professor fucking Wortham and just heckled him until he left and he refused to talk about comics for the rest of his life. Wow. Uh, neat little thing that they did do uh, when HBO did the Watchmen series that they uh -huh. which you're going to enjoy I know I say that every time but they did release a bunch of supplemental info to sort of flesh out the universe a little bit more partially just to, to mirror how fleshed out the like background info was in the original comic series and it turns out that in the Watchmen universe Wortham created a system for cataloging the mental states of the different costumed adventurers so he just did it but for quote unquote real life people mm -hmm. unfortunately the biggest problem with all this is he fucking was lying through his teeth through that entire goddamn book his use of proof of like he went to a school for troubled children and went 70% of these people read comic books thus comic books promote violence but they were all read like they were already violent like they were already violent before they read comic books or whatever or like oh all of these ki uh, queer kids I mean that's probably not the fucking term he used or if he did it with a very different context are are queer and they read comic books and the people who are working at the place because again in the 30s homosexuality was considered a uh, mental disorder obviously it's not but they were like yeah but they were already gay <laughs> like they just happened to also like comics uh huh <laughs> like they, they were gay before the comic books we went to a bar and everybody in the bar said they liked to drink. <laughs> I know, right? So, we're pretty sure that adults love to drink. 
or what was, there was a couple of other good ones. There was a, he talked about how there was a decapitated head in a Captain Marvel book. And this is like Billy Batson's Shazam Captain Marvel. And back in that, those days, it was even more cartoony. Turns out what it was, was Captain Marvel had like an invisibility cloak on, but the hood down. So it was just his head. Like it wasn't a fucking decapitated bleeding head. It was just a floating head. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Technically not even floating. Just visually appearing to be floating. He would combine statements to make it sound worse, or uh, he compared the Blue Beetle to a, quote, Kafka-esque nightmare, but failed to mention that the Blue Beetle is not a man transformed into a beetle. It's just a dude in, like, blue chainmail who calls himself the Blue Beetle. It's actually a beetle turned into a man. <laughs> you know? Faced, faced to live this mortal coil under the grasp of capitalism. Or, like, a 13-year-old girl admitted that she stole comics sometimes, but he changed it to, like, she was stealing comics constantly. So, hmm. this is the problem. This man helped declare uh, Albert Fish insane, which, yes. Was. Easy call. Helped fucking Brown versus Board of Education, but he lied through his teeth about so many other things that, I, like, it destroyed his career. And he actively hurt multiple creative industries in the process. Yeah. I had no idea. From from when I was reading, I don't think he himself was involved with Brown. It was just that his work was the major okay, work cited you. during Brown um, and also during a lot of other uh, similar trials that were going on where Brown versus the Board of Education well, was simply the most famous one. He was one of the only ones who actually would work with black people. Yeah. Um, well, in order to keep our journey going, we're going to have to drop some ballast. Luckily, Zach is stuffed to the brim with the sort of genre facts. I'll prod him a bit and see what shakes loose. Remember, any misses or mistakes will have to be made up for at the end of our trip. Today, we'll keep this expedition's theme of Marvel and DC horror characters. So, Zach, what knowledge can you drop on Professor Pig? Professor Pig was created by Grant Morrison and Tony Daniel. No, one of the Cuberts. Yep. Adam? Andy. Andy, fuck. So there are two brothers whose dad was one of, like, the founding members of comic books. Like, super important. I can't think of his, uh, the original Cubert, but... Uh, Joe. Joe Cubert, who had two sons, Adam and Andy, who both got into comic books and both worked on X-Men and Batman. And so... And are I, both amazing? <laughs> and their art is just similar enough. I cannot <laughs> keep them apart. I, um, I love the last name Cubert. <laughs> That's yeah. also awesome. <laughs> they also founded, his dad founded the Cubert School of Comic Books. It's like one of the most prestige, it is the place. Did, if you graduate from the Cubert School, you are almost guaranteed to get. Were it. they good at the game Cubert? Spelled I different. I know, but were they good at it? <laughs> I'm so curious. Um, probably. But, they were alive in the like 80s. Sounds like he's got to do a redemption. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to research and tell me if they were good at Cubert. <laughs> Uh, uh, anyways, Professor Pig was first introduced in Batman issue 666 because Grant Morrison realized that he got to write Batman issue 666 <laughs> and was like, well, I fucking have to do something with that, where he introduced Damien as Batman, Damien Wayne as Batman in the future. Damien had been, Damien Wayne had been Robin, is Robin, and had been introduced not long before. This was only like a year or two into Damien's existence. And he was not popular at the time. So a dark future, like compared to now Batman, where Damien is Batman and has his own rogues gallery was a relatively controversial choice. One of these rogues was Professor Pig, spelled P-Y-G. Interesting. Because I've seen this character in other iterations. 
he is insanely violent and I don't know if you purposely lined this guy up with Albert Fish, yes. but... Uh, <laughs> yes, I did. Good choice. So, Professor Pig had a habit of, among other things, creating his Dolotrons, where he would kidnap young girls and put a mask on their face to make them, in his words, I think beautiful, but it was to make them fucking weird and ugly and yada, yada, yada. Frank Whiteley did art with it later that was really haunting. But the, the mask melted to your face so if you removed the mask you removed your face your face and professor pig himself is a kind of fat kind of dumpy kind of penguin looking not like penguin fully malformed but like similar body type always read him as a john goodman type of build shorter but yes john goodman would fucking have killed his professor pig holy oh, shit that'd be incredible <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> horrifying uh who there's something weirdly sexual about the way morrison writes pig i mean there's something weirdly sexual about the way that morrison was writing a lot of stuff just a sexual writer <sighs> yeah but like uh at one point pig had the batman villains had taken over arkham and pig had nightwing and he was getting ready to perform and literally he's like putting on his suit which is like a butcher's um uh apron covered in blood and his pig mask and he's like dancing to it and it's it's fucking weird and sexual and like understands it's one of the best depictions of serial killers I think that has ever really been brought into the Batman mythos of like actually coming across as a serial killer like um, there, there's so many other characters that like definitely would fall on would be considered as like the Joker definitely a serial oh, killer oh sure Fucking but Zaz but Zaz is like but none of them the have 90s like... fear of a serial killer while Pig is actually like closer to how a lot of serial killers would behave he he feels somewhat like in between what, the versions I've seen of him. He feels like an uh, like a real serial killer crossed with Hannibal Lecter in the Marvel universe. DC, but yes, or DC. Yeah, that's actually not bad. Uh, I think of um, John Wayne Gacy, but uh, I feel like you got all the things needed. Like, like you have like the 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 character. Yeah, like you you got it down. I don't. Know I just his want name. Oh, okay. Um, I'll add that because you got pretty much everything else. Laszlo Valentine. Fuck, I knew it was something good like that. What I want to add is a, a couple more behind the scenes things mm -hmm. because it turns out that Morrison has done a lot of interviews talking about Professor Pig. Well, he was getting a lot of interviews at the time and he was introducing a bunch of new villains. He was bringing in like uh, Frog and Mr. Toad who were relatively forgettable, but the point was like, let's do some other Alice in Wonderland. He brought in um, the Flamingo that is pretty much a uh, prince from Purple Rain if he wore more pink and was an assassin. Oh, that's fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Flamingo. That's the best thing I've ever heard Grant Morrison's ever done. Um, you can sell me on anything if you just tell me it's Prince, basically. Also, I don't think we've done, I think we've done they for Grant Morrison so far in this episode, but if we get that wrong, I apologize. It's That's also, oh my, I've read so many Grant Morrison interviews now. That's also up in the air as to what, what they the, prefer, he prefers. Okay. Yes. That makes me feel a little better about the general nerdery episodes where I got it wrong every single time. But anyways, sorry, you were doing a behind the scenes. Yeah. So the pig, the name pig comes from a shortening of pig, Pygmalion. Okay. It's spelled with a Y, yes? Yes. Yes. The myth that was then turned into a George Bernard Shaw play that was adapted in the musical My Fair Lady starring Rex Harrison. I'm not going all the way to Rex Harrison for no reason whatsoever. Morrison connects them because, as he points out, movie enthusiasts will also know that Rex Harrison also played the original Dr. Doolittle, and he was trying to 
combine all of that together into one character who's this perfectionist serial killer who's trying to create the Dolatrons as his ideal form of humanity. And it's kind of like My Fair Lady where it's like, oh, taking this street urchin and trying to make her become a proper lady. He sees humanity as all these flawed creatures and are trying to perfect them. Pig. I think one of my favorite things about Pig that really helped put the emphasis on it is Pig mm. is one of the only supervillains that Damian Wayne is scared of. Because at one point, the Dolotron mask went on Damian Wayne, but I don't remember why it didn't work. But Um... That's it for today, folks. We're taking off. Before we go, we'd like to remind you to hit subscribe and check out all of our sister shows at earverm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Other ways to get in touch with and follow us will be in the show notes. As always, we want to give a special thanks to our editor, Stephen Gady, and to Ian Ford for our theme song tracks. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Up, up, and away. Up, up, and away.